All right, Will Manso and Clay Ferrero here for your Miami Sports Pod on a weekend that saw plenty of winning in South Florida, mostly football. Clay, there were a lot of storylines, though, before we even got to the stuff on the field with the University of Miami. And as the Dolphins win on Sunday at the Jets and Tua gets back at the starting lineup, we begin with them. So we got those two things to discuss. Let's talk about what happened uh, over in New Jersey on Sunday with Tua going out, throwing one bad pick, but for the most part playing well. When you look at his numbers and what he was able to do, Tua really bounced back and finished strong with those 273 yards passing, more importantly a win, had a couple touchdowns. What was your overall take of Tua and now the Dolphins who have won three straight games? Well, yeah, I mean, he was fine. And, and I think with Tua, it's, it all depends on what your preconceived notion of him is going into that game. It's, look, if you think he's somebody that can you know, be a, a franchise quarterback on a playoff team and potentially a Super Bowl winning team, then you saw a quarterback who can go out there and manage the game and, and beat a team when, when the defense plays really well. And if you you're so manage though, is that because you don't think they're taking enough shots? They're keeping it too simple with a little dink and dunk. Is that well, more first, on two I, I, I always, on offense? Yeah, I, no, no. I, I think first off, I think the, the the connotation game manager has too much of a negative connotation anyway. Uh, you know, I think most quarterbacks, even the best quarterbacks, most of the time mm-hmm. are game managers. Like, but I guess this would be coming at it from the other side. He's a quarterback that you can win with, not because of. And, and I feel like if you came into this thinking that you needed to upgrade the position, then the things that you saw out of Tua on, on Sunday, save for that one deep ball, the one to Mac Hollins, hey, look, it's great. And yet, you know, there's still that the things that he lacks, he still didn't show in this game. So it, it just kind of it all depends on where you were in Tua heading into this game. Now, as far as the team goes, well, mm-hmm. I think they are who we kind of thought they were heading into the season in many ways. It's a team that if the defense holds the offense of the other team at bay and gives the offense enough opportunities to score points and they can win football games. And, and I still think they can do that when they play bad teams on their schedule. I, I, I think the fact they beat Baltimore was obviously something that gives you a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of, of confidence that maybe you can beat a better team, but Hey, you know, you don't apologize for when you can only play the teams Ever. on your schedule. Never. If you're you going to say that, <laughs> if you're going to go on a run, it's got to start somewhere. And this is three in a row. You know, we talked last week jokingly about, hey, can the Dolphins make it to 7-7? Seven and seven? And I think with this kind of team, you got to really just get it one game at a time, as much as that's a cliche, because we saw today they're very capable of losing these kind of games. And if it wasn't for a few really big plays on defense, but also by the offense, I thought the, you know, the final drive at the end of the game by two was really impressive. When yeah. you see him going out there and with the game on the line, you know, realistically on the line, he goes out and he gets that field goal, which really sealed it. I thought the pass, obviously, to Matt Collins was a huge play. I, I thought the storyline will always be to us in the offense, dinking and dunking. Does he have the arm strength? And we saw when you give him time and you take a shot, look, no one will ever confuse Tua for Dan Marino. And that's fine. He doesn't have a bazooka for an arm. He's not suddenly going to get one. But I think what you saw in this game is that if you just game plan where you give him a shot now and then, now he said after the game, that wasn't even his first read. That wasn't the plan going into the play, but then he looked up and saw Holland's running down the field. And when he got to the sidelines, he really realized how wide open he was. And he hit him and scored. And credit to Hollins for getting open. Credit for Tua for finding him. But I, I think it goes more to the point of what the Dolphins are trying to do on offense. Clay, we talked about it last week. They're trying to win ugly. And that's okay when you win. When you play the defense they did. And today they flustered Joe Flacco enough. And they did enough to hold the Jets to just 17 points. And that more often than not in the NFL will get you a win. The Dolphins' defense has definitely changed the way they're looking at games now. I mean, they've won three in a row. And it certainly isn't just because of Tua. I mean, it's mostly, let's face it, because of defense. 
But if they're going to win these next three games and really get back to that 500 point, which I don't think any of us thought they could when they were one and seven, I still think they're going to need a little bit more from Tua in the offense. And I don't even think it falls on Tua as much as it just falls on the multiple offensive coordinators for the Dolphins to just take some chances. And it's fine. I get it when you play it safe and it avoids the big turnover. And I don't think they have full confidence in that offensive line. By the way, an offensive line that did give us a sack on Sunday, a lot of it having to do because they made things quick and, and dump off passes and quick decisions for Tua. But I still think that if you really want to evaluate Tua, you got to give him a little bit more of that offense. And I'm not sure if it's coming anytime soon, but at some point you need to kind of let loose and let's see what he can do. Yeah, because I think even at the at the very best, you're going to end this season kind of feeling, again, at best, the way you do about Tua right now, which is he's a yes. quarterback who you can win games you with. Just don't know. But you don't know enough. He's, he's not somebody who's going to elevate a roster. And, you know, I, I think you look at the last two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. Tom Brady goes into a situation in Tampa Bay where they had talent there, but they needed somebody who could elevate the roster to a different level. And he did that. Look at Patrick Mahomes. That was a team that, hey, with, with Alex Smith, they won a lot of regular season games. And all of a sudden, Mahomes goes, goes into the starting position and he elevates what they were able to do offensively because of his massive physical gifts. And, and his ability to read defense, I, it's, it, Tua is somebody who I think at his best, if you surround him with a lot of talent, can you win with him? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can you potentially win playoff games with him? Sure. But I think if you're, if you're looking for a quarterback who's going to change a franchise, and, and honestly with how bad the Dolphins have been for so long, that's probably what you need. I don't know that he's shown yet that he can be that. But, I mean, yeah. he's got a few games left to figure it out. But to your point, Will, I don't know if they have enough around him for him to even show the ability to yeah. do that. And I understand why they did it. I understand why you're keeping it simple. And look, uh, you got to keep him healthy, number one, upright. He's already had two injuries this season. He's still dealing with that broken finger healing. He said during the week he's not 100% yet, even though he, I thought he threw the ball fine today. I didn't think his his throws outside of the one he floated that got picked. I don't think any of his throws look like a guy who's being bothered by a broken finger. I think, again, he looks like a guy who's got just a decent arm, doesn't have a bazooka for an arm, but I thought his presence, his poise, his accuracy. He had a third down conversion, Jalen Waddle on the sideline, which was just a perfect pass, really, yeah. really nice pass. And, you know, I put it up as in the hunt, and that's, you know, that's a joke, obviously, with all fans. And with us in the media as well, like everything, everybody's in the hunt in the NFL when you're even at four and seven. But Clay, is there something to be said outside of the humor of it that maybe the Dolphins, given the way these, you know, you see every week these crazy upsets. You know, you think Tennessee's on top of the world and Randy Tannehill throws for four picks and they lose to a Texans team that I think had lost, if I'm not mistaken, eight straight games. It might have been seven. Seven or eight straight games they had lost. I mean, are the Dolphins really in a position where, hey, they, they chip away at these wins and they got Carolina coming to town next week. They got the Jets again. They got a bad Giants team. Could this team see 500 and really realistically be in the hunt? I mean, they're going to play a Carolina team that had to go in and pull Cam Newton out of retirement yeah. and, and because Sam Darnold had been so bad and then he's beaten up as well. And so, yeah, that's a winnable ball game. I mean, who knows by the time they play the Saints? I, Will, by that point, I could be playing quarterback for the Saints with, with as, as many injuries as they I suffered. I didn't even get a Saints and, joke in there. So, I mean, so the games no, that we looked at, it. even outside of the quote-unquote easy games, like this game yeah. against the Jets and, and the game against the Texans. I mean, there are I no mean, easy games for the Dolphins. There no, are. no, but but the games that I guess were, were more winnable, I mean, now you're starting to look at some of these other games that you thought maybe uphill climbs, and you can see a world where, where they can find a way to pull those out. So, no, I don't think it's a joke at this point, Will, because it's a 17-game season now, 
and there is that extra playoff spot. So you're going to get the hot team at the end of the year always finds a way to sneak in, right? And and especially now with the extra playoff spot and the extra game to kind of, you know, if you're hot, to kind of keep that momentum going and get an extra victory. So certainly there's a world where they can capitalize on this schedule and get there. Now, are they talented enough to actually do something with that? I mean, probably not. And yet when you, again, you, you look at the defense. landscape. Do you, buy the, do you buy the defense? Do you buy that this defense is legit again? Like kind of what we thought it would be. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. I never sold the defense. Like I, I still think that they, Emmanuel Logba is as good as he is. Um, you know, he's, is he the highest graded or the highest graded or the second highest graded edge guy all year long? Yeah. This, this team it, as a three, four down guy, you know, he's not somebody who's going to be, you know, being the, you know, getting the pressure on the quarterback by himself every single time. He has a different job in a three, four defense than your, your traditional uh, edge player in a four, three, but what they needed was somebody like Jalen Phillips to step up. And I, the fact that he has, yeah, I think that kind of changes the, good the compass of this to where the defense now it has that extra element finally where you're able to get some pressure without having to bring a bunch of, of extra guys. So I think that is important. And so I never sold the defense. I just felt like they lacked the ability to get a pass rush for a while without bringing extra people. And they were also on the field way too much because the offense couldn't manage to hold on to the ball. The time of possession was ridiculous against them. So and that's a big part of it. Yeah. That's a big part of it. The offense needs to – and look, and that's why I said, and I think it was Xavier Howard who said after the game that he loves that blank, uh, talking about the offense finishing the game with that drive yeah. to the field goal because that's what it takes. Is not you got to – I know it's it's the total cliche of the complimentary football, but you've got to be able to help your defense when they play like that. And you referenced that pass rush. And look, they – Brian Flores is not afraid to bring blitzes and they try to pressure you and they, and, and as good as Jalen Phillips has been the last few weeks and you're starting to see why he's a first round pick, they still love to bring heat in various ways and confuse the quarterback. We saw it last Thursday night against Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco, not as much. I think Flacco, you saw why the Jets started him because for the most part, he's going to make the right read. And even if it's a check down or a quick pass, he kind of took what the defense was giving him, but that was enough for the Dolphins' defense to say, hey, we'll give you that if you take it, but we're not going to give you anything downfield outside of the one play that was kind of not a busted coverage, but just a good play by Moore to beat Jones and go for the 65-yard touchdown. I thought the Dolphins' defense kind of worked to its plan, and they have a good – I'm okay saying that the Dolphins have a winning defense, and I, when I say winning, I don't mean championship defense. I mean just a defense that can win games and be a playoff contender. The problem is we've seen all year – between the offensive line struggles, the lack of ground game, which they still are trying to figure out. And they right. activated Duke Johnson. They actually gave him some good work on Sunday against the Jets. So those things are still things that work in progress, and obviously the offensive line. But I think defensively, this defense will keep them in games. And can we say again how good Javon Holland is? Oh, we yeah. Every week, yeah. we have to say it again. Yeah. He's all over the field. And even at times where he gets caught off out of position a little bit, which is rare these days, you still see the athleticism on top of the smarts, that's what I love about him is that he's not just an athletic freak running around. You can see his mind process things as a rookie that rookies shouldn't be doing. And that's really impressive to me. So again, I go back. The Dolphins wouldn't shock me to see them at seven and seven in three weeks. It really, really wouldn't. And if that's the case, yes, they're in the hunt. And not just Robert Hunt. They're in the real hunt. I love telling me, uh, who was it? Uh, was it Gaskin who scored and then, then gave Hunt the ball to spike yeah. it? It was he's kind of like honest. his payback. He's, like for a, last he's week. now an official playmaker. Yeah, after, for after sure. That, that I mean, play. look, let's be honest. Given how, how few playmakers they actually have, I don't know, put a play yeah. in for Robert Hunt, man. I'd be fine with I that. I like it. I like it. All right, so the Dolphins 4-7. and seven. 
Tua, again, played fairly well. I thought he played very well, actually, more than fairly well. He made the mistake. The one thing he has to do is avoid that one mistake, and I think that's that, That's the knock on him, Rao. He, he has that one mistake that can cost you. It costs them points. I mean, the Jets went down the field and scored a touchdown after the turnover. Defense bails them out. He makes some big plays in the second half. Dolphins win. Again, they host Carolina next Sunday over at Hard Rock. Now, speaking of over at Hard Rock, that's where the Miami Hurricanes finish things off. Uh, to clinch a bowl berth with their victory against Virginia Tech on Saturday. But, Clay, before we get to the actual football, obviously the big story of the week was Blake James out early in the week. Uh, they called it parting ways. Call it whatever you want. He got fired. I mean, they just didn't. It, it, it was time to move on. I think Blake saw that, and they figured out a way to just say, hey, it's time to move on. The question now becomes, okay, who do you hire at AD, as AD, and who replaces Manny Diaz if that's where you're going? I'll start with this, Clay. Do you see any scenario where Manny Diaz should keep his job? I, I put it this way: I don't. I don't think that anything he does, anything the team does against Duke, can really change anything. To me, I, I guess the only way that I could see it happening will would be if you bring in an athletic director, and the athletic director looks around the landscape of college football and says, "All right, all of the best candidates that I could have gotten for this job." are now employed elsewhere like they just signed signed a new contract or whatever and it's impossible to pry away the person that they want it would make sense for the athletic director to spend the next year kind of surveying to see who could potentially shake free give manny a chance and and you know see what the next year brings but also with the understanding of this hire that you make the first hire as a football coach that this athletic director makes is going to make or break his or her career. Yeah. So you don't want to just get whoever is left over after uh, USC, LSU, Virginia Tech. Um, you know, potentially, like let's say, let's say James Franklin leaves and, and mm-hmm. Penn State is looking for so. Like there are so TCU. There are so many schools who are going to be looking for a new football coach, and if they all fill their positions, and you're left going after guys who didn't get those jobs, then it may make sense to just wait. Now, with that said, you have to make a call to Mario Cristobal. You, you, have, to, you, you have to seriously vet somebody like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. But that so has I to think be, would be a AD great related, fit. right? I mean, they need to find the AD, and then that AD needs to do that. And, I mean. and, and yes, yeah, so, so to your question about do I see a scenario in which Manny keeps his job – Yes, but it wouldn't be as much about Manny. It would be more about what candidates are or aren't out there and what candidates are or aren't interested in UM at this time. See, I, I, I understand what you're saying and I get it, but I think that as a, a new AD, I just don't see how it could coexist. And, and I want to talk about the AD search and the next step. Look, you were at that event. Was it Thursday night? Mm-hmm. That event with the uh, alums, and we can get into that for for maybe Canes fans who are wondering how that went. You were there for a bit. The, the access they gave you, you talked to a couple of former players. Mm-hmm. I think you get a pulse of of what they were feeling. I talked to a couple of former players this week uh, via phone and text about what their feelings are and what. And I think as a whole, it's clear that former players, the guys who built this program, the alumni, want Manny Diaz out. And they want a person in athletic director position that is one of them. Now, that's not to say that Gino Toretta is the next athletic director or that Alonzo Highsmith is the next athletic director. I actually think the opposite on Highsmith. I don't think Alonzo Highsmith wants to be the athletic director. I think Highsmith wants to run the football program. I think he wants to be that director of football operations. A couple of years ago, we saw him there. The job was his. 
And Manny basically said no to Blake. I can't have somebody hanging over me. I'm the football coach. This is my program. And Blake James sided with Manny. So in that case, Highsmith didn't come here. See, I think, and this isn't exactly breaking news, but I think that whoever the next athletic director is, is going to attach himself with Alonzo Highsmith. I think Alonzo Highsmith is going to be part of the Canes program in the very near future. I think he is part of this change. I think they're kind of going to right a wrong from a couple of years ago that the Hurricanes should have done by going ahead and saying, hey, you are part of our program. We want you to be that connection, that arm to the past, to the players that want to be part of this. Because, again, I want to get your take on what players told you and what you saw that night there when they met. But what, what I was told by players is that they don't feel wanted or that they have enough. Even an Ed Reed, who's the so-called chief of staff. Look, Ed has been, a great, has been great for the image to have Ed Reed around. It's cool when you see the cutaways on TV of Ed Reed. It's great when you see the pictures on social media of Ed talking to players and those kind of things. But you know what's better? having someone like Ed actually have say. And the reality is someone like Ed Reed hasn't had say. It's been the Manny Diaz show because Blake James has allowed Manny to be that guy, which is fine. You hire a head coach, you say, that's my guy, you deal with it. But the problem now is when you don't have success, if you make a change, which you have now at the left director, you have to bring a new AD. You've got to let that new AD bring in his vision. And I think that vision will include someone from the past. Again, Alonzo Highsmith, in my opinion, to help lead, branch out to those former players and lead this football program forward. Because let's not forget, the new athletic director, like Blaine James is the former one, has a lot more than the football program to oversee. Miami sports in general have been down. It's not just football, and that's a big job. So if you can pair that up with someone isolating on football and then concentrate on everything else, I think that would be the next big step. And uh, yeah, Clay. Mario Cristobal would be a per- the first person I would call. That goes without saying. Yeah, so let's start with the Alonzo Highsmith thing real quickly because I want to make the distinction here. And, and one of the things that you hear from, from some people is, hey, he worked in, in NFL front offices. Like, what, why is he not good enough to be the athletic director at the University of Miami? Well, it, it's just two vastly different jobs. The athletic director at a major institution is somebody who is responsible for fundraising, for overseeing other sports other than football, like you said, for allocating financial resources, not just to the football program, but also to other sports. And also within the football program, figuring out, all right, where does the money go relative to nutrition, relative to facilities? So working in an NFL front office, man, I mean, I... If you're able to hire him as somebody who is in charge of, of personnel, as somebody in, in the role that you're mentioned, who is overseeing the football program, mm-hmm. that's completely different than hiring somebody as the athletic director. So it's, it's not that Alonzo Highsmith isn't a fantastic candidate to work at UM. It's just that the role of athletic director is vastly different Agreed. from anything Alonzo Highsmith has I know, done I'll in, say it again, in his I don't history. think Alonzo Highsmith wants that. Right, 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 right. I, I don't think that's his specialty i don't so, so let to deal with that yeah so let's just make that distinction here when, when we're talking about potential candidates and things like that the vibe i got sounds pretty similar to what you got and the thing that that i kept hearing was we don't somebody we don't want somebody as an athletic director who hasn't put on cleats before who hadn't put on a helmet before i mean they want somebody who's been a football player yeah. which i found interesting um and i don't know that that's and this is just my opinion I don't think that that's necessarily a prerequisite. I think you have a lot no. of people. And I don't think, by the way, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think 
the new AD will be a former University of Miami player. I don't think that. As much as I know Gino Toretto is a guy that I think might be a good fit if you want to go that kind of the outside route, meaning outside a guy who hasn't had experience at yeah. that, I don't think that's the direction UM is going. And to be clear, this is not every single player who said that at this event on Thursday night, but that was kind of the vibe that I got. I will say the one thing that they all seem to agree on is – that they have to get back to this idea of competing every single day on uh, on the practice field. Like, and you hear you hear this all the time when you know whether you're watching the, the thirty for thirties, like whatever it is that uh, you know the, the 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 practices were hard, so the games would be easy. Yeah. And and I feel like they want to get back to um, where the athletic director has a shared vision with the football coach that. Everybody is fighting for his job every single day. And that's on the field. That's mm-hmm. the coach. I mean, hey, it's even the athletic director, right? Like it's that everybody feels as though they have to perform their very best every single day or else their job is in jeopardy. And that doesn't mean that like you're, you're, you're coaching, you're playing scared, mm-hmm. but it's that you are always competing and you are getting used to winning because that's what they want to see the football players go out there and do. So the, the impression I got, Will, was that, they wanted in many ways for the 1980s and, and 90s and early 2000s Kane's football mindset mm-hmm. to permeate the athletic department. Mm-hmm. Like that they wanted the athletic department to hate losing as much as those Kane's teams and by did. Way, I agree with them. I, agree. Yeah. I do think there's a complacency of that under Blake and under, you know, Dr. Julio Frank has been a complaint. And, and even before that, but over the years of just, just be okay. And I've talked about it here on the pod with you and others is that I just think they want to be okay. And it's clear that the past and those guys don't want to be okay. They, there's no reason, Clay, zero, that the Miami Hurricanes have never won an ACC title. I mean, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Forget about that they're a top five powerhouse and, you know, the glory days and do another 30 or 30, you know, the U and all that stuff. That's not even what I'm talking about. It's embarrassing. They've never won an ACC championship. It's embarrassing that they've only played for one ACC championship. It's embarrassing what the university of Miami football program has become. And you saw those players the other day. They're embarrassed. They're hurt. Randall Hill. We had him on the show the other day on local 10 news. His exact words were, he said they have a a text thread, right? Every morning they chat. So we're a hundred former players. He said the main thing that's in that thread is pain is hurt. Because they know what the past was and what they want this program to be. They know how excluded they are in what it's now become. And they just want to be part of getting this back to some sense of respect and national relevance. So I'm glad you mentioned the word hurt because it kind of it triggered something in my mind that they were saying, too. I, I think the players that I talked to are also hurt that the board of trustees does not value football. And I think in their mind... And I'm not talking about every single board member. Again, you're talking about what is there, 60 members on the board, whatever it is, whatever the number is, they felt like a solid, and I'm just throwing a number out there that they said, so I can't, I can't speak on this personally, but they felt like two thirds of the board uh, wanted to make sure that the medical school was the best that it could possibly be. Which is important, it is a university, I get it. Yes, at all costs though. And it was almost like, if if we could make the football program like a little bit better, like and get it close to uh, get it closer to the top of the ACC, not close to the top nationally. Nobody wants it. You know, no, nobody's expecting them to be Bama or maybe not nobody. There are a lot of Keynes fans we talked to that they're going to be that. But like even just get the, 
but at the expense of, of shortchanging the medical program at all, that that's a non-starter. And so I think the hurt that a lot of them feel is that they don't feel what they did and the, the blood, sweat, and tears that they poured into this program is nearly as highly valued by this board as it should be in But it might eyes. be changing now. From what Frank said post-Kirk Herbstreit comments, to the reports out there that Miami is ready to spend money, which obviously you have to do, I do think that they're ready for that next. I think they understand that to get anywhere close to what they were, and again, they're not going to be what they were, but to get anywhere close to what they were, meaning just a relevant football program that can win conference championships and every few years be in that mix of a top 10 team that maybe competes for a national championship, they got to spend money. Mario so, Cristobal, that's, yeah, the, that's the name that comes to mind. Sure. And, and look, I, I think that's, that's where when you're looking at this program and saying, and, and again, this is just kind of, we're just spitballing here, but I feel as though Blake James was somebody who I thought did a good job with what he, he had and what he was given. And, and he kind of sided with Manny Diaz well, for better or worse. Of him? How about that? What was what expected, was expected of him? Of him? Yeah. I think the new athletic director has to be willing to go in there and interview and say, look, I've been at X institution. This is where you are falling short financially. And if you're going to spend, you have to spend here. And you have to get to whoever is going into these interviews to the athletic director. Don't just go in there selling yourself, sell Miami, sell the university on Miami of this is where you've screwed up. This is why you've fallen. And it's not a, I can come in here and I alone can fix this. It's you guys need to spend. And I'm going to show you where you need to spend in order to get up. So I would love to, to see the list of candidates before we start to throw out names, but like, you know, somebody who may have been at the University of Alabama, for example. Like, if you have somebody who's worked inside the athletic department of a school like Alabama. Well, you got, I mean, let's throw some names out. You got Jeff Curenson, who works close to Nick Saban, who's worked down here for the OB committee, and he's worked at Alabama for many years. He's a name that's come up. The former AD at Louisville, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Jurich. Tom yeah, Jurich. let's, let's start. Jurich let's... is a name that's come up. I mentioned Gino Toretta as far as if you're going to go kind of out of the list of, of, of experience. There are a lot of guys out there that want this job. So, and this is why, like you mentioned, Kieran, this is where I think it would be perfect, is you get somebody who worked at the University of Alabama, goes in there and sits down and says, look, this is what Nick Saban demanded. This is what he said he needed. This was his budget. From what I saw and from talking to, to Coach Saban, this is what was a necessity this is where maybe we can cut corners a little bit. Like, let's say Alabama has a $500 million pie to spend. If you only have a 250, and I'm just throwing these numbers out there, this is where we can't afford to cut corners at all. We have to be at a higher level. Maybe this is where. So bringing somebody in with that sort of experience is something that I think could be absolutely epic for the case. And that's, that's where I think you have to look at is who can come in here and tell us what we've been doing wrong and where we need to put our money in, not just sell us on himself. Or and again, herself. I still think there's an attachment to a former, I, I still think that the, that, that the Highsmith uh, possibility is strong. I do think that Yurik is a guy that I know that that is a name that will be talked about plenty over the next few days into the next week because they've got to make a decision fairly soon. Look, Kent's play Duke in a week, right, on Saturday. I don't know if Manny Diaz, if he's not going to be your next head coach or your remain the head coach, I don't know why he coaches in the bowl game. I think at some point somebody has to come in and say, hey, Manny's out, we get an interim coach, Rhett Lashley, whatever, we'll figure it out, and then go ahead and start getting that process because we're recruiting in December dates and all those things, the Canes, have to move forward. Look what other programs have done. Dan Mullen fired. The Gators were 
a top 10 team early in the season. This is a good football team the last couple of years under Dan Mullen. He had struggles. They wasted no time. Granted, financially, what, what was Mullen's buyout? I think I read like $12 million. I think it was $12 million, like yeah. I mean, yeah. But they don't care. They're like, we're moving forward. Whoever that next person is, whenever this happens, and hopefully soon, if you're really going to cut ties with Manny, which, again, I think you have to, I think at this point, I don't know how you, how you keep them given all the changes that need to, necessary changes that need to happen now with an AD and everything else. I think you got to move forward as quickly as possible. I just think that is the next step. And when the person arrives, whoever it may be, Clay, Kings are good. The Kings have talent. I, I, and I say that when I say good, I don't mean top 10 good. But you got a guy like Tyler Van Dyke who might just be the best young quarterback in the country right now. I mean, he's got five straight games of over 300 yards and at least three touchdowns. That's not a fluke. That is unbelievably good and he's doing it with mostly young players around them that are getting opportunities and you know you can credit Manny Diaz if you want for going ahead to those kids when the veterans are struggling but this is a team with a bright future in my opinion whoever decides to take this job from a head coach perspective and whoever the AD moves forward on whether it's a big name like Cristobal or Lane Kiffin or out of the box a bit whatever it may be whoever is the next head coach of the University of Miami is coming in with talent I, I mean, you're, win. you're. I would be shocked if you're not the favorite in the in the Coastal Division next year, right? I mean, you you look around the conference, and uh, you know, Kenny Pickett's going to be leaving Pittsburgh, and and Sam Howell almost certainly leaving North Carolina, and I, I no clue what's going to happen at Virginia Tech. No clue. I mean, UVA. I, I think um, uh, Brennan Armstrong. I, I'm not sure if he's a senior or not, but you know, I don't think I anybody, take Van Dyke over all those guys right now. What, and that's I my mean, point. It's like I mean all. All the all the guys who are are like even decent quarterbacks in the ACC, they're either questions about the team around them, or they're going to be gone. So, and, and Georgia Tech is awful. Duke is awful. So, like go up and down the list in the ACC Coastal. If you're a coach and you're looking for a spot to go in and make an immediate splash, you got the best quarterback in in the division, potentially the best quarterback in the conference. You've got solid talent all across the board. You've got a team that at times has been undisciplined this year, but that's your job. Your job is to go in there and 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 make sure that they're not making those mistakes. So it's a really attractive job where you can go in and immediately make an impact. That's where the timing of this to me, Will, is so important. It's that, you know, you don't you don't want to just be getting the leftovers when it comes to these guys who are potential co- coaching candidates. Like you want to be able to be reaching out right now and making sure that. I'm going to throw a name out there. Like, let's just say you're interested in a Billy Napier from University of Louisiana. You like, you like him, don't you? You've mentioned to me, I, me on text that he's a guy you think highly of. I, well, I, I know Virginia Tech likes him a lot. But let's just say that, that hey, I mean, he's he's strongly considering Tech. But And, and again, this is hypothetical. But Miami would intrigue him even more. I mean, you want to make sure that, that you're making these sorts of moves. You don't want your best coaching candidate to take a job elsewhere because you were hiring an athletic director and all of a sudden you're, you're left kind of holding, uh, you know, holding out for whoever's left over. So that's where the timing is going to play into this and be key. Well, because I do think it's a really attractive job for, for a number of reasons. I think, I think it's a team that can, I don't, there's no doubt in my mind that if you recruit well and you continue to bring young talent, which by the way, I, you know, you and I have had this discussion. And for those that watch local 10 or listen to the pod, I'm not a big recruiting guy in the sense. I don't break down every recruit throughout every season and the recruiting season because I just think recruiting at times, it gets so complex with transfers and who's going where and how kids develop. To me, it's all about, you got to have the right program, idea, mentality, identity, staff in place to develop those players. 
you bring in guys, and I hate to sound like the old man here, but you know, the old days of Canes football, like these guys will tell you, they weren't all five-star guys. They weren't even four-star guys. You know, these are guys that you just have to bring in with the right mentality and talent. Obviously, recruiting is important. Obviously, that's a big part of what college football is. But to me, having the right staff in place, the right identity and mentality from a staff is really as important, if not more important than that. And you're seeing now these Canes young guys, Van Dyke, a perfect example. I think I read he was the number two rated, you know, pro style quarterback coming out of high school. Yet he kind of with Derek King here, you didn't hear much about him. And they went out and get Jake Garcia. And now you see what Van Dyke can do. To me, this is a pro quarterback. I mean, this is a guy that if he keeps his head on straight and stays healthy and continues to develop, he's a guy that's going to play in the next level. And when's the last time you felt that certain about a University of Miami quarterback? Brad Kaya had moments where you thought he could be a good pro. Remember, there was buzz about Brad being a first-round pick entering his final year here. Didn't pan out that way. He ended up getting a chance for the pros. Didn't ever really play much. Didn't develop into the, to the player maybe others thought he could be. Point being, though, Van Dyke looks like a guy who could be an NFL-caliber quarterback. Those throws he makes. So to your point and to the discussion of what Miami could be in their future, you've got an NFL-type quarterback with some really good talent around them. Hopefully you continue to recruit well could be an ACC contending championship team as soon as next year because if they wouldn't have made so many boneheaded mistakes this year undisciplined plays stupid decisions within games they should be playing for a culture division title this year and a chance to win the ACC championship so to me you're going to get your hands on a very good football team with a bright future for the right coach with the right AD in place yeah and long term it, it, I joked about this, but it's it's only partially joking. If I were hired as a UM head coach, I would demand that part of my contract is a lake house up in Wisconsin somewhere. <laughs> and I just go and I, I live half the year trying to recruit linemen because I could get the mid three star skill players around here in South Florida. You could get the guys that Florida, Florida State, Alabama don't get. And you could still put together a really good team if you had a good offensive line and you went and you got yourself a quarterback. Yeah. To me, Will, I, I think that's where if you get the right coach in here who kind of understands that. And again, it's not that recruiting rankings don't matter. It's that there are a lot of things about the recruiting rankings that are flawed because you can't measure some of the stuff that's really, really important. And and one thing that I think we heard over and over again, if you watch these you know, 30 for 30s and whatever on the U, it's the players knew the players that were coming up and they were able to talk to their buddies, uh, other high school players and say, all right, well, tell me about this guy. Tell me about this guy. And it wasn't that, you know, you just watched their film and, and said, Oh, this guy, this guy can play. It's yeah. no, this kid shows up at five in the morning to the weight room. He's out there on the practice field at six 30 before his first class at, at seven 30. Yeah. He's working on his hands. It's He's working mindset, on his yeah. mindset. I said the dedication and you need that. You need that because, look, there's the other things that, that the Canes need to do. They need to make sure they attack the local schools again. They can't let the kids from St. Thomas all go to Alabama and Ohio yeah. State, those schools. I mean, they got to go in and get guys from the from the, the championship-level programs right in their backyard. A guy like Mario Cristobal, trust me, he knows that. A guy like Lane Kiffin knows that, whoever that coach may be. Clay, if you had to, we're going to end the pile with this, and we're still going to have time for discussion because the Miami Hurricanes aren't going to hire a head coach this week. They haven't even fired Manny Diaz yet. But if you had to say to yourself, I, I feel strongly that the next head coach of Miami Hurricanes is who? Who would you say? And you could say, you know what? I, I could see that happening. I, I mean, I could see Lane Kiffin. Um, and I, I, I think it's, you know, we've had the report from Andy Slater that he is very interested and he wants the job. And I also think, yeah. 
and I also think, look, we're, if you if you do a deep enough dive on Lane Kiffin and and where he's quote unquote failed, mm-hmm. you'll find that he hasn't. Like his time at USC, it was suboptimal, but the second he got there, he had to deal with the Reggie Bush fallout. Yeah. He was a good coach with the Raiders, and then he had the issue. I mean, good coach. I mean, he was fine coach with the Raiders at the age of what, 30, 31, 32. Made a lot of money. I give him that. And he had to deal yeah, with Al that, Davis, and, and yeah. then that, that blew up. He goes to Tennessee and he coaches so well that he gets the USC job, and everybody there hates him because he left. Like, yeah. if, if you're hated because you left, well, you yeah. probably did something good. And he had left. two 11 win seasons in Boca. And now yeah, he's got Ole so Miss as a nine-win team or whatever it is. I, I like him, and and I feel like yeah. I don't think that the stuff that is controversial about him is something that would paint the University of Miami in a bad light. What is his controversial stuff? He's outspoken. He's outspoken. Right. He, he's he's outspoken. The, he likes to rattle a cages. Worthy soundbite, maybe that the school president of the school is like, "Oh, don't say that. Don't say that." You he know? likes to get on social. He likes to get under people's skin, and and like. So what? I mean, yeah. that's like the base level. But so, like, I understand the the people in administration at UM not being not wanting to have players get arrested, not not wanting to have players who can't pass class. Not like that's one thing. But having somebody who comes in and just pokes the bear every now and then, oh, who cares? Like that's, in this day of so, age with social media and the way players are active on social media, and love that. Look, Manny tried it a bit with the whole. Remember the whole GIF when he would throw the, yeah, they're getting yeah, recruits yeah, from the portal yeah, and the stuff. Yeah. People ate that stuff up. Right. But what happened then? They didn't win. And yeah, so sudden, then it looks bad. Right. Then the stuff, then all of a sudden that stuff wasn't so cute and funny. Now it was annoying, you know, and it was all seemed like a gimmick. So it's going to be the same for Lane Kiffin, whoever comes in. You can be outspoken. You can post chips. You can be on social media doing podcasts for all you want. But if you don't win games, the fans in this town, man, UM fans are brutal. I'm a proud alum, but we're an awful fan base in that sense. We are ready to move on in the first quarter of game one from a coach if that coach is struggling. And that's just the way it is. And, and, and let me add one more thing on Lane Kiffin, because I think the thing that you get sometimes is, well, why would he leave Ole Miss when, I mean, they, they break the bank to pay him and you're in the SEC and you've got SEC money, et cetera, et cetera. They'll never be Alabama. They'll never be LSU. No. Right. Two things. First, first off, some people prefer city life and some people prefer the lifestyle in a Miami over the, the lifestyle in an Oxford, Mississippi. Number two, what you mentioned, the competition, you are always going to be at best fourth in that conference. You're never going to be probably fifth. My guess is you're not going to compete on a year to year basis with Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Texas A&M, especially not as long as Jimbo Fisher is there. So you're probably fifth. Mississippi State is going to be so like you're you're talking about a school that it's a dead end job in many ways. And oh, by the way, he's probably going to lose his quarterback, who's going to be an NFL draft pick, mm-hmm. going to lose a lot of talent elsewhere. This is the time for him to help sell high on himself. Oh, I, I agree with you, and I think I think there's absolute interest from Lane Kiffin. I think Andy's report, uh, you mentioned Andy Slater's report, I think is legit. I know a lot of people laugh at it and say that you. How would you know that? Well, I mean, first of all, Andy's well-respected and he does a great job getting scoops, you know. But the reality is I think Lane Kiffin loved his time down here. Now, that's your pick. And that's and that, and I, by the way, I agree that that could very well be the direction that Kane's go. I still think, though, that the first call, the first focus, and as much as it, it's crazy when I really step out of my Kane's little Homer hat on, the thought of Mario Cristobal coming here, given that he's in Oregon, given the resources he has there, the facilities – being that they were up until this weekend a top five team with the aspirations of a national title, I I still think it's more toward the long shot category of Amaro Cristobal coming here. But to me, 
you got to make that call. You make that call right away. You focus on that, whether it's, uh, I mentioned Alonzo Highsmith and an AD working together, calling Mario. I think that's the first focus. And then you move on from there into whether it's Lane or a guy like Napier you mentioned or a coordinator, whatever you're going to, or, or a guy that's a, a retread head coach that maybe wants another opportunity. Whatever direction you go in, I still think Mario's the first call. I, he has to be the first call. There are two things that have to happen in order for, for Mario to come down here. Number one, it's the family draw, the draw to go home. I mean, and that's – that's, By the way, it's a big – people kind of think that that's silly, but these guys all make a lot of money, and they've done well. The family stuff is important. It is important. I'm not saying it's the bottom line of why he would come here, but you can't also dismiss it. No. And the other thing that has to happen is you have to have an athletic director and also a booster or two or three who go to Mario and say, not only am I going to write you this check where you can write however many zeros on it that you yeah. want, but I'm going to write another check where you can write more zeros for the facilities, for the yeah. travel, to yeah, upgrade nutrition. To, so like I, your recruiting I, is taking care of where you can go, how you should spend. Absolutely. I don't think Mario Cristobal comes down here if Blake James is the athletic director, if it is status quo moving forward. Mm -hmm. If you get an athletic director who can sell him on a vision and also spend money, a lot of it, yeah. then it's possible. So those I are the scenarios so. where you could potentially see it happen. Well, see it happening. It's going to maybe not the, that part of the equation, but I think the, the athletic director part of it will have to happen soon. I think, you know, we're approaching Thanksgiving this week and then you get into December again, the timing of it, they have to resolve this. And I think this is going to be a very busy week in that search and what the next step is. It wouldn't shock me that by the next time you and I do the podcast next weekend, that the Miami Hurricanes have hired their athletic director Agreed. and know the direction they're going. Well, we know the direction we're going. We're going home. That's it. That's it for the Miami Sports Power. We appreciate you watching, listening. we got a lot more to discuss next week with the Dolphins trying to make it, what is it, four in a row, the Heat. We didn't mention the Heat. They're out on their road trip. They had a four-game winning streak snap. And the Panthers, hey, the Panthers are 10-0-0 at home, 14 in NHL history to ever do that. So that's your Miami Sports Power. Always appreciate you listening and subscribing.